And folks, again, if you want to write a psalm, uh, I would encourage you to stand before us and share it. If not, I'll read it, okay? But I hope you'll take time to do this because I believe that every one of us who know the Lord Jesus, who know the God of all creation, that he loves us so very much, we have a song to share about him. Well, let's read again Psalms 23. Just listen, if you would like to follow, if you'd like to read with me, okay, please do that. Uh, this is out of the Revised Standard. And if you have memorized the Psalms out of the King James or any other version, please just repeat this Psalm with me in the version that you have memorized it in, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." You remember in these last two weeks, we've given a very simple outline of Psalms. Uh, go to the next one. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. According to Robert Daniel, again, want to document where this came from. He has written a book entitled How to Study the Psalms. And he says that the theme of Psalms 23 is God's wonderful care. And this is how he breaks down the outline of Psalms 23. This is on the next overhead. In verses 1 through the first part of verse 3, God's wonderful care as a shepherd. In verses, the latter part of verse 3 and 4, God's wonderful care as a guide. And then in verses 5 and 6, God's wonderful care as a host. Folks, let me quickly, again, I'm going to do this very quickly, review the last two weeks. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms means praises. When it was translated into Greek, the title became Samoi, which means songs accompanied by stringed instruments. Therefore, the Psalms are Israel's hymns, the people of the Old Testament. It is their hymn books. It is the songs of worship. It is God's iPod, if we could call it that. It is Caleb. But folks, I want you to understand something. Psalms 23 is not just for funerals or for old folks. It's for everybody. And remember that there are many categories of songs. There's the praise or hallelujah psalms. There's the thanksgiving psalms. There's the psalms that are actually prayers. There's psalms that tell of confession of sin. There's psalms that give the history of Israel, how God had, had worked in their life and all that he had done for them. There's songs that declare that God is the creator God. They are so very, very beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God is one of those. Folks, so beautiful. There's the prophetic and messianic psalms that speak of the coming of Jesus. But folks, there's the trust songs. And obviously, Psalms 23 is one of these. Now, how important is a book of Psalms to the Word of God? How important is a book of Psalms to the New Testament and to the gospel of Christ? And we've already pointed out that more than any other book in the Old Testament, Psalms is quoted 186 times in the New Testament. And Jesus quotes the Psalms. An example of this is he is dying on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is a quote of Psalms 22, 1. 
But folks, getting back to Psalms 23, we've been spending time on those first five words. And if you'll go to that, uh, D, the Lord is my shepherd. Five words, but perhaps five of the most revealing words in the Old Testament. And you remember last week we talked about how the Lord, the Lord is the most significant name for God in the Old Testament being used over 6,000 times. And last Sunday we were talking about the significance of the name the Lord. And this is what the expression the Lord signifies on the next overhead. And we've gotten through the first two of these. The Lord, first of all, signifies God's eternal existence. And folks, I want to point out, I cannot tell you how important this is. Folks, the God that David was talking about was the God that had created the heavens and the earth. It was a God who had been the God who had been with the patriarchs in the earlier part of the Old Testament who had called Abraham. It was a God who had made the covenant with Israel, the God who had delivered the Hebrew slaves. It is the same God who created the world, who sent his son to die on the cross, and whose son is coming back again for us. And folks, this God that we've spoken about is the God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21. From the beginning to the end of human history, God is there and he is here with us. And folks, it's important for us to understand this about God. Secondly, this expression speaks of God's all-sufficiency. You remember last week we talked about how the people in the Old Testament had worshipped a lot of different gods But as the prophets had said, those gods do not speak, they cannot hear, they cannot act. But Israel's God, David's God, our God is all that we need. He is a God of action. He is not dead. He is not make-believe. He is not outdated. He is not out of touch. And so that's where we begin this morning. The expression the Lord describes the God who is forever present with us. Now, folks, think about David's life for just a second. Think about all that God had done in David's life. And God had a plan for David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, who, as the young boy, was a shepherd boy. But this shepherd boy would become king. That was God's plan for his life. Folks, I just want to read uh, out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. I don't have this on the overhead because it's a lengthy passage of Scripture, and it's one that you know well. But just listen to this, and listen to how the expression the Lord is used in this is going to be a story that you know so well, okay? David has gone to the battlefield where his brothers are with King Saul, Goliath comes out to meet them on a day-to-day basis, cursing them in the name of his God, saying, send someone out to fight with me, and whoever wins the battle between me and one of your soldiers, uh, that, that army will be the victor. Uh, that group of people that loses will, will bow in slavery to, to us and serve our God. So just let me pick it up. And David said, and he's speaking to Saul, the Lord who delivered me. Again, remember, David gives credit to who? The Lord. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Go, 
Go then, Saul, and Saul clothed David with his armor. He put the helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he was not used to it. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not used to them. And David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's bag. His sling was in the hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bear in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and comely in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, And am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts. He will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Folks, you and I know that story well. Not only does God give David victory over Goliath, But God gave victory to David over Saul when King Saul sought to kill him, all of the other enemies, and God gave him victory over his personal sin. And here's what I'm trying to stress. God blessed David throughout his life. Well, what does this say about God to us? This God, this Lord of creation, wants to have uh, a personal, intimate relationship with not only David, but with you and I. And I believe in these first five words in Psalms 23, David is expressing that intimate, personal relationship he has with God. And folks, I want to ask you something. Do we feel that way about this great God, that we can have a personal, intimate relationship with him? Folks, that's what he wants you and I to have. And that's why we should have a song in our heart. And if we don't, God hadn't changed over the centuries We've walked away from him if we don't have that song. And I'm encouraging you to have that close, personal, intimate relationship with him. But David says the Lord is. And that two-letter word, does that sound really important? Because it is. The verb is is a participle. I don't fully understand all the semantics of, of the Hebrew language. But a participle meant ongoing action. And what David is saying in these first five words is the Lord is continually shepherding me. And here's his point. God's love, his care, his protection, his provision, his salvation is ongoing. Folks, listen to this. God's love and care and protection and provision and salvation never stops for his child. What started on the day that we trusted Jesus Christ is meant to last throughout our lives, throughout eternity. And I want to ask three questions this morning and obviously answer them. But question number one is this, will God ever stop loving us? Do you ever feel sometimes that maybe God doesn't love you? Let me answer that by another psalm, Psalms 136. And I want you to earmark this psalm. If you've got your Bible with you, if not, we're going to put the first nine verses of Psalms 136 on the overhead, okay? All right? The psalm has 26 verses, 
And in each one of the 26 verses, the expression, if you got a King James, the expression for his mercy endureth forever. I'm going to be reading out of the Revised Standard for his steadfast love endures forever. The New International Version says his love endures forever. The Good News Bible says his love is eternal. But let, let me read these nine verses And would you chime in with me every time you see the expression for his steadfast love endures forever? Would you read that? You'll catch on real easy, okay? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth upon the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, For his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars the rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. Folks, on that psalm goes. And at the beginning of the verse, the psalmist says something about what God has done. And then he says, for his steadfast love endures forever in all 26 verses. Folks, what do you think he's trying to say? And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. The psalmist is trying to tell us that God's love for his children lasts forever. So when will God ever stop loving us? Never, never will God stop loving us. And secondly, will God ever abandon us who are his children? There's such a beautiful verse in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. And if you remember anything about the prophet Hosea, you remember that he was instructed by God to to marry a prostitute who would turn against him even in marriage and become unfaithful. And Hosea's marriage to the prostitute symbolized how Israel had turned against God. And Hosea struggled with the woman that had become unfaithful to him But through Hosea's life and his marriage, God spoke to the nation of Israel. And listen to this. It's going to be on the overhead. Hosea 11, 8. How can I give you up, Israel? And look at that next question. How can I abandon you? Could I ever destroy you as I did Admah or treat you as I did Zeboim? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. And folks... You know, at this particular moment in time, maybe we don't feel unloved and maybe we don't feel that God has abandoned us, but will there come a time? And it might not just be because of our sinfulness. When we attempt to do something great for God, maybe we're going to feel that Satan's going to attempt to say, well, God's not going to be with you. Let me read some other verses. Joshua 1, 5, and 9. Listen to this. And you know the context of Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Moses has died. If you'll pull that up on the, uh, on the overhead. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And listen to verse 9. 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, be not frightened, neither be dismayed. For who? The Lord. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. What were the last words that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28? This is not on the overhead because I think all of us ought to know this. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, again, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the book of Joshua. And on the overhead, Hebrews 13, 5, the writer says, I will never fail you nor forsake you. So, folks, the word of God tells us, and this is what I think David is saying in these first five words in in Psalms 23, God will never stop loving us. He will never abandon us. And thirdly, God's plans for our lives will never stop. I love John 14. You know that. But let me read again verses 2 and 3. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus getting ready to die on the cross. But he tells these, his disciples these words, and this is in the Revised Standard. I personally love this in the King James a little bit better, and I'm going to read it that way. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, what will he do? I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, listen. God's plans, Christ's plans, God's activity in our lives is meant to be continuous and ongoing. And let me ask you something. On the day that you and I came to know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, did God walk away from us and stop working in our life? You know, some of us act like that, don't we? Some of us say, well, I got saved, I got baptized, I joined the church, that's taken care of. Now I'm going to go live life the way I want to. Folks, listen, the presence of God, his activity in our life is not limited to the day that we got saved. It is meant to span our entire lifetime. Folks, Psalms 23, verse 6, and don't, this is not on the over. Let me read this to you. Remember the last verse? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me when? All the days of my life. And then I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's activity in our life is ongoing. And this is what David is saying about this God. From womb to death to eternity, God wants our relationship with him to be ongoing. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God did not simply save us to walk away from us or for us to walk away from him. And folks, it is so important for you and I to understand about our salvation. It is an ongoing process. God saved us at that moment in the past when we turned to him and received him as Savior. He redeemed us. He forgave our sin. He washed them away. But God wants to be at work in our present, currently at work, growing us into his will. And God's got a future for us. He has eternity planned and established for me and for you. And folks, let me go just a little bit farther. Listen to this. David says, The Lord is my, he is my shepherd. 
Folks, again, a two-letter word, a small word with a big concept. And folks, listen to this. Listen to this. David dared to reach out and call God his very own. He is my shepherd. And folks, David had an understanding of the nature of God that was far in advance of his day. David knew that God was a loving, personal father and friend who could be described as my shepherd. Now, let me ask you something. How many of us say he is my God? He is my Lord. That's the way God wants us to feel about him. I hate to keep mentioning my granddaughter, but she is teaching me so much. She's not quite 19 months old, but she's already got the expression, mine, mine. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of us have that expression, don't we? It is mine. Do we feel that way about our God? He is our shepherd. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our Heavenly Father. He is our friend. Was David boasting of himself that he was someone special? Absolutely not. When you and I as Christians, when we say that we have a personal relationship with God through Christ, are we boasting of ourselves? And the answer should be no. We're being scriptural. The word of God tells us that when we turned to Christ and received him as Savior, what happened? Listen to John 1.12. I love this verse. John 1.12. It's going to be on the overhead. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to what? To become the children of God. (coughs) Folks, you and I are the children of God. And when we say that, we are not boasting. That is biblical. It is scriptural. And that's the way the Lord Jesus wants us to feel about the Heavenly Father. We've already said the Lord's Prayer. How do we begin it? Our Father. Who taught us to pray like that? The Lord Jesus himself. Folks, when David, excuse me, when Thomas, the one who doubted the Lord's resurrection, when Jesus appears to him and instructs him to place his hand in his hand and feel the spear mark in his side, how does he address Jesus? He says, my Lord and my God. Folks, listen, David had personal and direct contact with God. And you and I have that too. And folks, that's why we can call him our shepherd. I haven't gotten near as far this morning as I wanted to get, but let me give you two statements and we'll close, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. David uses a figure of speech about God, describing God as shepherd. And folks, that description of God is used throughout the Old Testament. Jesus will pick up on that description and call himself in John 10, what? I am the good shepherd. In that day, the shepherd, the title given to God tells us about who God is. And we're going to learn about this next Sunday. But folks, it also speaks about who we are. If God is the shepherd, then you and I must be the what? The sheep. And you know, we're going to find out about sheep. And I want to tell you, books have been written about this one, this one concept, that God is the shepherd, that we are sheep. What does the Bible say? All we like sheep have gone astray, but he has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
Folks, it's such a beautiful concept. God loves us. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with us. You know, I truly believe that these first five words in Psalms 23 really tell the whole story in the other five and a half verses. But folks, this morning, let me ask you this question. Is the Lord your shepherd? He wants to be. He wants you to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. If you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, even though the Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the Bible tells us about a free gift from God, and that is the gift of salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he took my sin and your sin, the sin of the world upon himself, so that we would not be judged. We would become, as John said in John 1.12, we would become the children of God. Folks, this morning, the Lord wants to be your shepherd if you've never turned to Christ. He wants you to be willing to repent of your sin and believe that he died on the cross for you and trust him as your personal Savior and begin to follow him. If you'll do that, you can be born into the kingdom of God. And my dear Christian brother and sister, is he truly our shepherd? Is he the one that we are following? Is he the one who is bathing us with his love? Is he the one that we go to when we sin and we need forgiveness as his children? We don't lose our salvation. We lose our joy. And being one of his children, we lose our relationship. But folks, I want to tell you, he'll bring us back into the fold, and he wants to do that. I hope you don't think I'm spending too much time on these five words because they tell a great, great story. The Lord is my shepherd. Let us pray. Father, Lord, thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that even when we become wayward like sheep, you are the great shepherd and your son is the good shepherd. Lord, this morning, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts. God, you desire such a close and personal and intimate relationship with each one of us. And that relationship begins when we surrender our heart to you as a personal Savior. And I pray, Father, that if there's someone here and perhaps they've heard many, many sermons and many Sunday school lessons, but they've never yet gotten to that point in their life where they realized that they were a sinner, oh Lord, I pray that you would impress upon them that your Son died on the cross for them and that by simply trusting Him that they can be born into the kingdom of God. And Father, for we who are believers, Lord, our Christian life is like a roller coaster. One moment we're close to you and another moment we're away from you. Lord, I pray that if we're away from you right now, I pray, Father, that if being a child of God has lost its meaning and even its purpose, and Lord, perhaps there's some Christians here who feel that you no longer love them or that you don't have a plan for their life or that perhaps... You've abandoned them. Oh, God, impress upon them. All they need to do is just turn again to you. And, Father, I pray that you'll put a song in our heart 
and that others can see Jesus Christ living in us. Have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name.